Do you know about Acker Wines? It's America's oldest wine shop and the world's largest fine wine auction house. Their weekly web auction is all the rage right now with thousands of new bottles available every week with all types of great stuff ready for drinking with prices starting at $20. That's right, 20 bucks. With hundreds of selections for less than $100 every month, there are tons of wines to choose from. If you're looking for fun, new or aged bottles to try, each week brings a new assortment of the world's finest and rarest wines, often in try them out sizes. Also, there's no reason not to be buying at auction, especially when the finds are this good. In addition, the retail store is stocked with thousands of items to choose from, including lots of cutting-edge stuff. Go to ackerwines.com to get in on the action and take your cellar and drinking habits to the next level. That's ackerwines, A-C-K-E-R, wines.com. Use the promo code BWG25 to get $25 off any purchase of $100 or more. Retail only. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is president of the legendary import and distribution company, Skernick Wines and Spirits, Harmon Skernick. Uh, Skernick Wines and Spirits is an importer and distributor of fine wines and spirits headquartered right in the heart of New York City. The company began with just a handful of relatively unknown estates back in 1987 and has since grown to represent over 500 estates, most of which, like their company, are family-owned and operated. Harmon joined the fledgling company in 1989 after 10 years in marketing for renowned advertising agencies like BBDO and Needham Harper Worldwide. And in his previous career, Harmon helped build marketing strategies for companies like Apple, Pepsi, and Xerox. This helped shape who he has become, and many wineries have come to rely on Harmon's advice based on his diverse marketing background. A partner in the company for more than 30 years, Harmon has played an integral role in the company's success, and most recently, Harmon became an active voice and serves as a board member for the U.S. Wine Trade Alliance in the industry's fight against the tariffs that were placed on imported wines and spirits by some asshole. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Harmon. Is there anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> well, thanks for that. You're thanks welcome. for that great introduction. <laughs> Especially well, that asshole part. I know. I agree with you yeah, completely. I, I, I know you do because Harmon and I connected. I mean, I, I mean, I've uh, known about Skernick Wines since I uh, got started in the business at Acker. Uh, I believe Acker. We were one of your biggest accounts. I mean, we and John. I know just still are. Yeah, um, and 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 I, it's when I really learned the importance of uh, importers, which we'll get into. But so we actually connected uh, 
through here again on Instagram. Harmon is a great guy. He's following me. We have a mutual friend, Cliff, uh, who I worked with at Acker, and he knows Harmon not just from the business, but they're both huge Mets fans. Yeah. And they went to Mets fantasy camp, and I think That's Cliff right. played shortstop, and you played third base. And That's so, right. So, That's right. So, 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 so the you left got, side of the infield was it, solid. It was tight. tight. <laughs> <laughs> he led off, and I batted third too. Oh man, he's nice. like he. he I, I had a, like a batting average of like. 500 or 550 for, during the fantasy camp, and I think he got like six for he got the trophy. Oh, damn! You know, he's 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 better than me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Harmon, man, Harmon uh, came and represented like as a true importer. I've had some importers, but Harmon, he came in hot. He brought he brought four bottles. Tell us what we're going to be drinking tonight, <laughs> Harmon. Well, uh, well, two out of the four bottles um, I, I wanted to bring are actually two wines that have really never been tasted i don't think by anybody in this country so we've done it again <laughs> i swear to god this pocket we get so, so many i thought cool why not firsts. why not here thank why you man here with mj man we'll, we'll, we'll taste some new things that nobody has ever even maybe even heard of yeah um or or a bit, some some people have heard of uh one of these maybe uh, but what we have in the glass now is a white burgundy uh from Pierre Vincent Girardin. Girardin is is a a really uh, well known, uh, famous name in Burgundy. Mm -hmm. uh, his father, Vincent Girardin, uh, created a a, a company a, a winery that was super successful, and then got bought out by um, Boisset many years ago. But of course, he retained a lot of the best vineyard plots mm -hmm. in Burgundy and handed them down to to his young son. Pierre Vincent, who's only in his early 20s, but, you know, he grew up making wine from the time he was 10 years old with, with his dad. And he's, this is, you know, this is only his second or third vintage. Um, this is the 18 Saint-Aubin, and I love the name of this vineyard. It's called Merger des Dons de Chien. Any guesses of what that means? Um, it means uh, the guy with dents in his head. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. And I and I actually had like six years of French. Well, it's Shit. one. It's one of the best. All I know is merde. <laughs> well, first of all, Saint Aubin yeah. is one of my favorite. Uh, yes. Regions for white Burgundy because it's it has been underappreciated for so many years. But the location of it is just above all the Grand Crus. Uh, you know this this vineyard is just above Chevalier Montrachet, which is one of the, the greatest white white wines in the world, and uh, but it's uh, you know it was just above and so you know, considered too cold for making great wine. But uh, with global warming and climate change, Saint Aubin is your best bet for value white Burgundy, and this vineyard, which means uh, Merger Merger is kind of like. The stones that come out of the vineyard, it's a okay. very stony vineyard. When they clear the vineyard, they, they, they pile up the stones. They call them merger. And then Don de Chien is dog's teeth. Ah, okay. So I love the name. You know, it's the stones of dog's Actually, teeth. Actually, that's very dog. cool. And, uh, and considered one of the best vineyards in San Oban. And, and Girardin is making terrific whites and red wines. And it's, it's relatively new. It's a new, a new brand. So Yeah, I believe you guys did like an IG Live with him last year, didn't you? Yes, yes, okay, with yeah, David Hinkle, our yeah. uh, French uh, portfolio manager, yeah. 
Tell David he needs a smile. David, you need a smile, man. <laughs> he comes in pretty intense. He's he a is. handsome dude. He's got that angular face, but he comes in intense, man. He's very intense. That's what we love about him. He's so, he's so good at his job. No, I man. believe it. Man. I was like, I was like, I'm going to have to give Harmon a little – I'm like, that dude he's just <laughs> comes in. He, yeah. He's ready to go. I love it, though. He's, he's learned a lot on his lives. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I've traveled a lot with him uh, in France. And, uh, you know, with a bottle of wine, he loosens up I'm, quite a bit. <laughs> and sure. uh, we have a good time. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you. This is amazing. And every time, every time I have white burgundy, I'm like, fuck. Um, it's so good. Like, I, I mean, you guys have a great book. We know this. Uh, I, I, and we'll get into that. But, like, one of my favorite books to this day. Um, and you, you have a lot of much. great California wines. But, like, you know. To get this type of Chardonnay out of California, you're, you're spending a lot more money, mm. you know, like, and just, and like you said, you can find these little, these little gems where it's like above Chevalier Montachet, you know, and this might, you know, I don't know what's real, but, but even at that price, like, you know, like, what does a fucking Marcus Sand cost, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, what's amazing is that the, uh, you know, and I mentioned how cool the climate is in San Oban and why it's desirable now with as the weather uh, is warming you know it used to be in Burgundy it was hard to get grapes ripe yeah so uh, you know the best sites in Burgundy and the one the Grand Cru's and the best sites uh, had were south facing so they would get as much sun as possible but today the cooler sites are you know the insiders um, you know uh, best best wines and the same goes in California where the best Chardonnays and Pinots being made are cool the really climates. cool climates. Sonoma like Coast, Santa Rita Hills. Santa Rita Hills, Santa yeah. Barbara. Yep. You're, you know, My you're stopping me and yeah, Cliffville stopping yeah, grounds. Yep, yeah. yep. So, you know, and that's, uh, and of course the Sonoma Coast, uh, you know, the closer you are to the ocean in California, the cooler the, uh, the, the cooler the climate. So that's really the secret is, is you know, in, especially with all the fires and the, and, the, and the climate changing to have a good, cool climate to raise your, raise, you know, to, to uh, elaborate your grapes. There you go. Yeah. All right. So we got so much to talk about. Yeah. We're just on the first wine. Oh, and also, um, what are we drinking out of? <laughs> well, thank you for asking. Well, I brought uh, these gla wine glasses with me. To, to, uh, yeah, mine weren't good enough. He's like, he's like, I've seen your clips, MJ. I don't want little plastic cups. We're not at the frat house. <laughs> well, no, it's it's not that they're fancy. It's just that you know we, these are the only wine glasses we actually sell. We we represent these uh, great wine glasses that were designed by the famous wine critic Jancis Robinson, um, and who's become a friend of ours now. But uh, she, you know. Uh, Met up with this guy Richard Brendan, who's a who's a designer of of glassware, and uh, they, you know, and Chances says she always wanted to create the perfect wine glass, you know, and so she had the opportunity to design this from scratch, and it, you know, it's the it's it's the perfect shape for really all wines, and it's true, every wine, whether it's red, white, sweet, dry, uh, tastes better in this glass. Than any other glass, and we've actually done that in a bl in blind tastings and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, yes, we represent it. We're happy to we sell to a number of restaurants in in, in the states. We also have a website where you know um, consumers can can buy, and um, it's it's been very successful. Well, we'll make sure we get that in the show notes for you, yeah, uh, for sure. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you and your brother Michael, um, who who. 
originally founded, uh, well, your brother Michael started Michael Skernick Wines. That's correct. It used to be called Michael Skernick Wines until maybe 10 years ago. Okay. Um, um, but you were, and then you came on like a couple years after you started, correct? Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you guys were raised in Long Island, and I've read, and actually I think I, uh, Michael, my, I might have been somewhere where Michael shared this, but uh, your parents, you guys live on Long Island, your parents went to Europe and came back and built a wine cellar in the house. Is that correct? That's that's pretty, yeah, that's that's accurate. Uh, you know, we, we often say they went to Europe, went to France, uh, 1970 it was. They went there as scotch drinkers and they came home wine drinkers. <laughs> uh, no, it's true. They, they went there and experienced, because America back in 1970 <laughs> um, was not a wine drinking country. And, you know, you could argue that it's not really a wine drinking country even now. Right. right. But back then it really wasn't. Right. I mean, it was, uh, you know... Uh, Mixed cocktails, uh, Mad Men, you mentioned before, you know, it's like uh, w wine and food culture didn't really exist. There wasn't really a, a big restaurant culture and Americans didn't know, you know, wine was kind of, um, you know, you could order, uh, have a cheap, cheap wine to drink, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, the understanding the great wines of Europe, mm -hmm. you know, wasn't normal for Americans. <laughs> uh, we grew up with soda pop, you know, uh, but my Parents went to France, and my mother especially uh, got enthralled with the wine and food culture there. And when she came home, she called up a um, uh, wine shop at the time in Forest Hills. It was a, I can't remember the name of it, but a very famous wine shop, and started to stock a, her cellar. And my father, who was in the frozen food business, he was a salesman, traveled the country selling you know, French fried potatoes to to to, oh to, to, uh, to the big fast food chains and stuff like that, container loads of that stuff. But he, you know, he had uh, freezers in the house. And so he he ordered up a, a freezer and he built in shelves and they and he set it to the proper temperature, 55 degrees. And my mother filled it up with 61 Bordeaux's and 66's and and uh, German Rieslings and, and, you know, really started drinking wine with dinner at night. And, uh, you know, as kids, we, we got influenced by that and we were, you know, interested in how much they really loved wine and food. And uh, so we kind of grew up around that. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. That's that's super cool. Yeah. So you mentioned, so like... 61 Bordeaux. Like, she was getting those for, like, what? Like a dollar a bottle? Like, a, a case? Yeah. I mean, a case could have been more than, like, couldn't, how much it could have kids uh, have? Yeah. Well, she wasn't getting, like, she, you know, she didn't get, like, the first growths or anything like that. But, yeah, I mean, really good 61s probably for, you know, 15, 20 bucks a case. I, I know. Mean, I mean. It's it, crazy. It was crazy. I mean, even John Capon talks about his, like, when, when Michael took his father, Michael, took the business, like, he was giving away fucking drc because people didn't want it to send like 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 you you like people like i've seen ads where like a case of petrus for 200 bucks a fucking case of petrus for 200 bucks back then man. if we invested back then, i know like, man like i mean who knew it was gonna yeah. be this thing yeah. so like so that was been really cool like your parents and then you said also drinking rieslings yeah she was drinking rieslings back then um you know even and she, i mean she had even had baron auslaser you know the, the wow. fancy you know, uh, uh, dessert wines from Germany too. And, uh, you know, we got to taste and we got, you know, um, exposed to it. And which I think, you know, really, we owe 
the fact that we're in the wine business to, to my mom, really. Um, Ain't moms the best? <laughs> they can be. They really are. Can be. They really are. I mean, I mean, yes, they can be. It sounds like you had a good mom. So I had a good mom, too. Some, some Definitely people. had a good mom and a great dad. That's awesome. So um, I, I think, who's older, you or Michael? Michael is. Michael's older. Okay. So um, were you guys close growing up? Did he beat the shit out of you? Like, what kind of big brother was he, man? <laughs> uh, now we're getting personal. <laughs> um, a little of both, actually. You know, he was almost five years older. I was like the bratty young brother. And so, and he, you know, uh, could could beat up on me a little bit. Um, my, he, my father used to tell him, you better watch out. One day he's going to be taller and bigger than you. And he's going to get back at you, you know. And I ended up being taller and bigger than him. Um, but the reality is, as we got older, you know, and, and you know, he became he was in high school, and I was in junior high, and he went to college, and I was in high school. I I really he I looked up to him. He was really my you know a mentor mm -hmm. for me, and I wanted to be like him, and I you know and that kind of thing. He taught me a lot. You know, he got me high first <laughs> uh, when I was uh, only 13 years old. <laughs> and, sorry, uh, Mom. <laughs> she's gone now. So, oh, you know, I'm sorry. But, uh, maybe she hears me up I there. Know, you know? Yeah. She's like, but, uh, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not in trouble. Michael's in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he always was. He was more in trouble than I was. I was much better I, at following the rules and being able to get away with shit. Yeah. Like I would get away. I would get high, and nobody would know that I was getting high. But he he would get high, and my parents would, would you know figure it out somehow, because he was first, you know. Right. He right. went through it first. But um, yeah, but I know when he and I did look up to him, and so you know we we grew very close. We were very very close as uh, as teenagers and young twenties, and uh, you know he. Um, uh, graduated college with a degree in zoology and so you know I don't know if he's gonna work in a zoo or work in a, in a lab somewhere and he came back to New York City and got an apartment downtown and was wondering what to do with his life and, and you know didn't didn't really know thought yeah maybe he'd go back to dental school or whatever else and you know we uh, went to went up to windows on the world at the top of the World Trade Center for a drink with the family and I, I su actually suggested to him you know, why don't you, while you're thinking about what you're going to do, why don't you get a job here as a waiter? They look like they make some pretty good bucks. And that's what he ended up doing. And he was a waiter up at Windows uh, clearing some, some pretty good cash. Uh, and then he befriended Kevin Zraeli, mm -hmm. uh, who was the, 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 um, the sommelier there, who was really well known for having, you know, the best wine list in the country at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he you know, went, became a waiter, then a captain, and then became Kevin's assistant there. And a lot of people who became, who were Kevin's assistants over the year, years have become well-known in the wine industry and, you know, branched out uh, from there. But Windows became kind of this um, percolating or, or percolator of talent. Uh, and when Michael left Windows to become a, a salesperson for a small distributor at that time, uh, he would call on his friends from Windows, and they would they would be buying his wine and stuff like that. So before he started Skernick Wines, nice. So yeah, that was like um, 
like you said, percolator. The, what's the term you use now in tech? Uh, it was like an incubator. An incubator. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think like maybe what, that's what I meant yeah, to yeah, say. Yeah. I said percolator. Yeah, yeah. Well, you <laughs> it's know, kind of similar. It's, it's very it's similar. Yeah, I mean, it involves heat and keeping <laughs> things alive. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, I mean that it's like almost like a farm system. You use sports terms, right? Like, like, yeah. And we'll get we're gonna get into the uh, Skrennic Wines farms. We, farm we, we system. were our own farm yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A little bit later, but um, yeah, I'd actually heard it. Uh, I think uh, Kevin was on Levy's podcast. One of the one of the ones I listened to was really good, and and, and of course Michael came up. You know, like uh, he's 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 one of the. Uh, mm -hmm. There's been so many people, but he. he I listened he, to that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like uh, the the fact that Levy's like he's like one of the superstars. Like you know, there's there's people who like, but he's like like a Heisman Trophy winner of the alumni. <laughs> yeah, sorry, these sports references. It's, it's yeah, cl Cliff's, Cliff's in the room somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Um, yeah, you mentioned that. So clearly, you, even though you grew up with this wine influence, I don't think you guys were, were thinking about being in the wine business when you were younger, though, right? Definitely not. Okay. Definitely not. But because of that exposure, when it became uh, available to Michael first, mm -hmm. you know, I was all along while he was doing that and selling wine for a living, I was, you know, going to business school and I, you know, uh, graduated and, and went to work in uh, marketing, marketing research firms first, and then I went to advertising agencies, and I was following a completely different career path. Never thought I would be in the wine business, ever. But as Michael started to f formulate his own, his idea for his own company, we, you know, we would go out to dinner together. Uh, I remember one time, uh, particularly, uh, where he took me to Keene's Chop House, which still exists today. <laughs> make you know great great steaks and uh, he ordered uh, a, a bottle of wine off the list that he had brought in for them from William Selium which was not really very well known back then yeah, that was like one of the first American garage wines correct breakout and they made wines. Pinot Noir at a time when nobody in America drank Pinot Noir yeah you know, there was the movie Sideways hadn't happened yet, <laughs> and uh, but they also made a really incredible Zinfandel. I know, Oof. called uh, which was purchased from grapes from Lino Martinelli, which you know was a winery now Martinelli Winery. But this Jack is now called Jackass Hill. But William Selye made those 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 uh, the wine from those grapes, and so the reason I brought that up is we went to this dinner at Keene's Chop House and we're drinking William Selliam's Infidel and you know he's telling me about his idea about you know bringing in these California wines that he's been bringing in uh, and uh, you know I and I you know I said one day you know if if you know maybe we'll work together you know maybe one day uh, you know and um, you know one day he did call me and say you know quit your job because that's when he landed the Kermit Lynch portfolio and he said just call me I said quit your job tomorrow <laughs> Come where let's work together. So you know that's that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's crazy. So what was it like? Because um, you worked at a BBDO is a huge and both and Needham Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Like literally, I don't even know why I remember that, but like that's, that's, that's like one of like the competitors of the the fictitious law uh, law firm uh advertising firm kind of madman like they mentioned that like that's like that's like iconic yeah yes. it's iconic yes madman was based i think on Doyle Dane Burnback right. which is DDB right and uh, BBDO uh you know was was at the very forefront uh, uh you know in the 19 uh 80s when i worked there mm -hmm. 
um, at the forefront. They were the ones who did the Apple Macintosh commercials. You know, Phil Dusenberry was the creative director there. And we had, you know, Pepsi, you know, all the Pepsi ads with Michael Jackson. The burnt hair one. The burnt hair one was BBDO. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we had these incredible clients and I was on the marketing on the marketing and research side of mm -hmm. things. You know, we, we did the surveys of, uh, of consumers to see if they like this formula better than that formula, or this ad better than that ad. And uh, it was, it's a whole, it was a whole, that was what I studied in school, you know, statistics and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but, uh, you know, learning how, what a marketing, uh, plan is and, and having, mm -hmm. um, marketing direction was, you know, ended up being helpful throughout my life, you know, but, um, and something that most wine people don't really have that kind of background. And so the combination of learning how to appreciate wine, how to sell wine, but also how to market it is, uh, you know, was, has, has served me well. So it's so funny. I'm looking, I don't usually use a lot of notes, but it's, it, it's, it's like my producer read your mind. Like you were, I told like, did you get a phone call? Literally he, he Michael no. got the account with Kermit Lynch. Kermit Lynch gave him, uh, the, uh, his first French portfolio. We didn't, prior to then he only had California wines. There were right. no French wines, no Italian wines, no Spanish wines. And, um, you know, Bonnie Dune was the first California winery that ever said yes, you know. I used uh, to thanks love to Randall the, Graham. The Kyle de Solo, the Barbera. Yeah. I love I love that was like that like kinda of got hooked me on Cal Italia's that, that California Barbera they used to do back in the day was so good. Yeah, Randall used to buy the uh you know, the grapes that no one else wanted. You know, that's how he started with the Rhone varieties. Uh, with Le Cigar Volant and, and Van Gris. And, and then he end, ended up doing the first, well, pretty much the first Calatel, because these grapes, Malvasia and stuff. Were oh, that, was, one, that was good, too, the Malvasia Bianca. Malvasia oh, my Bianca, God. I, yeah. I loved those wines. They were like 15 yeah. bucks, like in the yeah. late 90s. Yeah. They were so freaking good. But when, when Kermit Lynch uh, with, you know, Raveneau and Cochery and Robert Chevillon and, you know, and the great Rome producers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jean-Taz Dervia yeah. at, at the time and, and Cornas from Nolversay, all these great, great wines um, and created an instant French portfolio. We were suddenly we were like we had a company. And we had, and he had the ability to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I literally resigned the next day. That's and, awesome. And that was, uh, you know, it was, it was great. It's great. It's really worked out well. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, now, did did and you kind of touched on this because you do see there's so much passion in the wine business, um, which can get you started, but it's it can't always sustain you if you don't have. Um, systems in place so like you had a different background um did you have a vision when you came on board or it just was like we got to make this work was there was a specific vision you guys had when you came on board or it was just like i need help when it came when, when, I, I, when I came on board he needed help he needed okay. help to run the company you know to help run the company like you know we had to type up invoices you know we didn't have first of all we didn't you know, i I worked on the Apple account, so I actually had one of the first Macintosh computers in my office at BBDO, and I was able to learn some computer programs at the time. This was new, brand new technology, and and so being able to do word processing and be able to, you know, put out uh, invoicing and and be able to you know keep track of your inventory and things like that were, you know, this was new, um, <laughs> new technology uh, and very very basic at the time, but. Um, no, I, I, I came on board to try to 
help run you know the office while Michael was the salesman. You know he had a lot of sales experience. He so he could get out there and and be with the customers and and taste taste uh, taste them on the wines while I answered the phones and and did you know took orders that way. And also, uh, you know, got the invoices out, licked the envelopes, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and we, we shared a secretary. We, you know, we had this office in Long Island uh, with a friend of Michael's who was in the liquor business also. And we shared one secretary. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was uh, – and, and we know what was really amazing is that, you know, we didn't – we never took a bank loan out. Oh, that's we awesome. Had wow. To, we, we, you know, talk about taking risk. We – we would buy the wines, and we, we had to sell them quickly so that we could get paid so we could pay our invoices. So we were motivated to really move through the, the goods quickly. And so we did a lot of pre-sales. You know, sometimes the wines would be sold before they arrived mm -hmm. so that we could then ship them out and get paid because, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't have a lot of money uh, to, to start this company, and we never – took out loans so um you know it worked that worked old school yeah. bootstrapping <laughs> lean startup self-finance not not people where people create companies now to get a financing round like that's the goal it's not even to have a profit how can we make it ourselves didn't exist then it was just like how can we get another round of financing exactly oh it's so different it's it so different so different but you know i think a lot of times, um, you know, I mean, th that is the, the the goal today. And sometimes, I, and I, I, you know, in some in some ways, that's kind of a mirage. It may end up failing at some point, depending on the stock market and 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 ability to finance. But when you build a company on those building blocks of reality, of you know, building um, capital in order to be able to expand health healthy healthy that way without having a lot of investors and be able to be independent. I think it's a lot healthier way to grow, and it's worked well for us. We really have grown, kind of slowly and steadily over the years. Um, and and you know, and if you're a healthy company and you can pay your bills, wineries want to work with you. you know? <laughs> it's kind of basic, but it's like go figure. <laughs> this guy's not going to you know, take our wine, sell it, and not pay us. <laughs> I mean, it's a go figure. The, the basics are important, you know. They they don't you know it's, they don't they don't want to work with you because you have a great personality. They don't you know you got to be a good business person. You know, you, the wine business is, is is we always say this is about two things. You know, it's about the wines, and it's about business. And you got to be good at both of them. Right. If you're good at one and not the other, you're going to fail. And and either way, you know, you could be, you know, there's there's business people who who know how to move boxes. They don't know the first thing about wine. Not going to be successful. Yeah. You got to know both. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what's the let's what else we got to drink here? Oh yeah, let's, let's, empty and we got lots of wines. Right. Well, here's one that uh, you'll be one of the first people in the country to drink. You've heard of Paul Hobbs, the winemaker from California. Paul Hobbs, of course. Paul Hobbs is the man. Paul Hobbs is uh, did a lot of. Um, Single vineyard Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs and some Cabernets, and then, and he works around the world. I know he's he's done stuff in Argentina. He's doing some some some. Correct. He's uh, he's he's a winemaker from from you know around the world. He's got tons of clients, but this is one of his own projects and it's brand new, and it's and it's up in the Finger Lakes in New York, and uh, you know and he the way this it's called Hillock Hillock and Hobbs Hillock I think is his. Mother's maiden name, perhaps, mm -hmm. and this is the first release ever. 
wow. of the, vi the vineyard that he purchased and developed. And um, it's Riesling, of course, which is the best you know, wine from, from the Finger Lakes. But a lot of people don't know Paul Hobbs is originally from Western New York. He's from Buffalo. What? Uh, yeah, Did Buffalo, not yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, he grew up on a farm in Buffalo with big family. And at he, you know one of the ultra successful California uh, winemakers. And he wanted to go back closer to home. Finger Lakes is you know one of the great up and coming regions in America for for Riesling especially. And he wanted to develop a vineyard. And he he actually asked me you know what you know do you know any you know, German winemakers, because he knows we're, you know, we have, we're big in German wines, uh, importing German wines, and, and who he could, you know, ask about Riesling and consult with. So I hooked him up with Johannes Selbach from Selbach Oster, one of the, one of the great uh, wineries in the Mosul Valley in, in Germany, and they kind of became partners on this project, um, and you know, Johannes gave him a lot of, you know, tips about Riesling and how it's different from, because he, you know, Paul had never worked with Riesling before. Right, right. And... Boy, they they do a great job, I think. With yeah. uh, and this is the first release from Young Vines, you know. And it's and got it's, and it smells just like a wine from Germany. It, it does. It's got it's got varietal typicity, I believe is the word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It smells like what Riesling is supposed to smell like, just right on the nose. Exactly. And, yeah, and that's that's very cool. So you know what? Um, <clears throat> we're gonna take a break right there because because you mentioned something about how you guys have worked at Riesling. So we're going we're to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk uh, Riesling and uh, how you guys began to expand the portfolio of Skernick wines. Thank you. Sounds good. If you're a fan of the show, you know that there would be no black wine guy experience without Acker Wines. America's oldest wine shop is now the world's destination for fine and rare wine. That's why I want you to go over to their website and check them out. Whether you're seeking the world's finest and rarest bottles or just something for everyday drinking, Acker Wines is the place to go to expand your palate and enhance your personal wine experience. Go to ackerwines.com. That's A-C-K-E-R wines.com. Use the promo code BWG25 to get $25 off any purchase of $100 or more. Retail only. Okay, we're back. So... We were talking, we're, we just got into this uh, Paul Hobbs, Finger Lakes Riesling project that he worked on. You know, he got advised by uh, the, the Selbach family, you know, um, mm -hmm. which is iconic. You know, when you talk about European wine families, you're talking centuries. Like some of these people would make a wine, like some families would make a wine for 800 years, which is just astounding, right? Schloss Goebelsberg in Austria, who we represent, who's one of the great producers in Austria, are celebrating their 850th anniversary this year. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's, that's insane. It's insane, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, the Middle Ages, you know? I know, literally, like, like they've seen it all. <laughs> they've, that family's seen it all. Totally. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, so, you, you, uh, you guys... I remember you guys especially because you guys had all the cult California stuff early on in your mm -hmm. book, um, and then like you said, and then you you know Kermit threw you guys uh, a nice bone and, and got your French portfolio. And then I remember um, when I worked at Acker, um, you guys had a very strong German portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, Terry Thies, talk mm -hmm. about um, Terry Thies. Sure, sure. Well, our, our first German wine portfolio was actually Rudy Wiest. Okay, he, he, you know he he got us in the German wine business originally, and that was in the in the early to mid '90s. Okay, 
Uh, and then we, you know, we had a guy working for us at the time named David Bowler. You've heard that. Yeah, name. he's going to come out. The the, <laughs> the, the, the the farm team. You guys. Yeah, the farm team. Time. Yeah. Uh, David used to work uh, for for Willie Abramsky at Crossroads, and uh, you know he used to sell a ton. He was a huge customer for Terry Thies. So. David would say, you know, we got this, we got the Rudy Weiss wines, and I love selling these, but you really got, you guys should pick up the Terry Thies wines. They, they get, you know, better scores from Parker, and and you sell a lot more, and they're priced better, and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, he introduced us to Terry. Uh, I think, uh, you know, back in the late '90s, probably '97, '98, and we ended up trading, you know. We got the farm team. We got got to trade the players <laughs> right, too. Right, right. So we ended up trading Rudy for Terry and growing the business uh, to double. We well, first we were just uh, a distributor for his wines in in New York, mm-hmm. you know, because we. Uh, uh, but then, you know, and he had an importer uh, named Milton Cronheim in 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 Maryland where he was based, and. Uh, it, it, they didn't do anything for him. He, he, they were just like <laughs> Uncle you know, Milt put, didn't do his oh, job. Uncle Milt just put the, the <laughs> label on the back and Milk didn't do Crony, anything. Milk I love it. And uh, you know, but we were dynamic. We sold a ton of, of his German wines at the time. It was just Germany. You yeah. know, he hadn't gotten to Austria right. or Champagne yet. And um, so uh, ultimately, he dumped Milty, Uncle Milty, <laughs> for Skernick, and we became the national importer. Okay. For uh, Terry's wines, and uh, so you know. And, and so, you know, the number one importer of fine German wines. And then, of course, he expanded into Austria and then and then grower champagnes kind of kind of created that category. So with the Austria, um, he was um, you guys were you guys helped to really introduce us to Gruner. Gruner Veltliner. Yeah. 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 What was that like? I mean, because I mean, because. That, because you know, German wines were just still obscure to the to the and to this day, like Riesling still is not understood by the average American wine drinker. True. So, like, what was most like, people think it's sweet. sweet. Yeah, they think of blue nut. And most Riesling today is dry. Right. Like this one. Yep. Um, so what was like? So then you got these these Gruner Veltliners. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, Austria coming when we started with uh, these Austrian wines. Most people don't remember this, but Austria was coming off a, a huge scandal in the 80s. In in 1985, uh, there was a story about uh, uh, somebody who got arrested for creating sweet wines using diethylene glycol or like Ugh. I don't know if it's the same thing as antifreeze, but it's kind of thing. It's, it's an ingredient in antifreeze. People people yeah, it goes, died. People it, died. It goes in antifreeze. Yeah, yeah. and it, people died. Yep. And so. Uh, Austria was associated with this scandal, and so for for a decade or more, there was no there was no Austrian imports, and so you had this bad bad image about Austria. But you know, Austria's wines are all uh, prim- primarily dry, and 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 you know, this whole s- scandal with the sweet wines was ancient history by then. But uh, you still had to overcome this bad image. And uh, and then you had had this new grape variety that no one had ever heard of, Gruner Veltliner, mm-hmm. which um, really uh, be, sort of became a darling with the sommelier community, uh, which was which, which is always the, the best way to to uh, to introduce new wines and, and market wines is is through the sommelier community. 
And uh, they really took to it. And be- one of the reasons is because it's the best wine to go with uh, with vegetarian food and, and vegetables, mm-hmm. you know. Not that many wines go with asparagus. But I know that, that, is, that, is, that is the classic, oh, like, what do you pair with asparagus? I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's like, the, that's the stumper, right? I just, it's it, not as bad as artichoke. Yeah. Artichoke is the worst. It, it, it ruins almost every wine it touches. That is true. And yet, when I lived in California, that was we would sell a grilled artichoke with a garlic aioli, and people would love it, and they would... And I was working in Montecito, so someone would buy a bottle of Krug and just... Have it with an artichoke. Champagne goes with it. But champagne, but, the, but, the, but that's what we say, right? So, so since we talked about champagne, so then also, you guys kind of, you guys were kind of, um, I don't know if this was Terry, but I remember you guys brought over this this grower champagne. I don't know if it was grower, but small producer. It's called Egli Aurier. I remember mm-hmm. those ca- coming over in like that was 90, pre Terry. Yeah, yeah, it was like ninety. Was it Acres? So ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Egli Aurier. Like how did the, how did you find those guys? Like, and I mean, because we we actually, I don't know, uh, but we did a tasting at Acker. So it was Cliff, John, and, and mm-hmm. you know, New Year's Eve, uh, nineteen ninety-eight. So it was ninety-seven going to ninety-eight, and we had like twenty different champagnes, and we had all the Eglies, and we did it blind. We had like, and all the Eglies finished in the top ten, and we had we had DP, wow, DP Rose, we had Krug. Yeah, this is a good story. We had uh, we had the Grand Dame Rosé. It was the first vintage. Um, I mean, we had Bollinger RD seventy six. I mean, we like we went in that night, and the Eglies just killed it. So, how did you find this? Like, and and I know the property. Tell where's the property located, and how'd you guys find them? Uh, Egli is in Ambonet, Egli Aurier, which is uh, you know Pinot Noir territory. Uh, for champagne. Uh, but how did we find them? Well, you know, they were really our first grower champagne. And at the time, we didn't even use that term, grower right. champagne. Right, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Uh, but there were, there were a few. You know, Kermit had, uh, actually, Kermit's grower champagne was our first. Paul Barra, okay. who still, still exists today and is very fine quality. But uh, how we found Egli is, is uh, you know, through a, an agent uh, who was very instrumental in us building our French portfolio. His name is Peter Vaison. Peter Vaison uh, is now kind of retired. He's, his wife has taken over his business, but he he was uh, somebody who we would travel to France multiple times a year. He would take us around, introduce us to to, to you know new to wineries that he represented or discovered or found, and um, put us you know kind of be a broker and put us together. Mm-hmm. And that's how, he's the one who introduced us to Egli originally. Egli Aurier is now world famous, and yeah. the wines have never been better. The, the wines are just spectacular at the very, very top echelon. At the time, nobody really knew, no, knew who they yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. But they got great scores from, you know, the only score that mattered in those days, Robert Parker. There could be only one. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was a real feather in our cap. That, but I remember those were all like under 50 bucks. This was like yeah. 97, 98. It was, yeah. And we were like, holy shit. They've gotten a lot more expensive. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about, so there wasn't the term grower champagne. Um, so then Terry... Yeah, German wines with Terry, then Austrian, and then he became a big voice for what we now know as Grower Champagne. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Terry, when he was, uh, uh, you know, traveling to Germany and Austria every year uh, for many years, 
he went to Champagne just for fun, you know, just to, and uh, so he got to got to know a number of different uh, growers there, and um, said he wanted to start importing Champagne. We thought he was crazy because uh, you got enough on your plate selling, you know, selling uh, Riesling and Grüner but. Uh, but we were, we became convinced that, you know, at the time, the champagne market was dominated by the the, the large luxury brands, luxury yeah. brands, uh, LV, LVMH mm-hmm. uh, advertising, uh, uh, you know, special occasions, luxury, and and much of their chagrin, hip hop was all about Cristal. They're talking right? about talk about what I mean, like. That whole story with Jay Z thing, but literally, like that's—I mm-hmm. mean—that opened up a whole new market. Was these bottles of Cristal? Totally. And these videos, like yeah. it was crazy, crazy, crazy. But that was the market then. But the thing is, the thing that really intrigued us was the um, analogy to Burgundy. You know, Burgundy used to be dominated by big firms too. Not lux- not the same way. Not this. Not with the advertising and the and the luxury, but. Uh, but the small growers be- ended up becoming the most desirable burgundies over over course of time. You know, it, it, it's only been you know maybe fifty, sixty years when the small grower in Burgundy started emerging. And uh, in Champagne, you had the same story, except that it, it was delayed by a few decades. You know, the growers had no power; they had, can only sell their grapes to the to the big negociants. And the few that had the wherewithal and the financial ability to actually, because it's a very expensive process mm-hmm. to make champagne. You know, if you're a winery and you make still wine, you just make the wine, put it in the bottle, and sell it. You know, champagne is a whole process, and you have to make the wine in the bottle individually in the bottle, and you have to ferment, have tube fermentations. You know, and uh, then you have to disgorge, you have to age it, disgorge it. The whole thing, you need, it's, a, it's an expensive process. Uh, and we thought that ultimately uh, that the small grower could be appreciated the way the small grower is in Burgundy uh, with the, uh, uh, the way that they can express terroir of their specific grapes that they grew in their specific vineyard. So, um, and that's where the, the concept of grower champagne came, came about, and, and the market really took to that. And now it's, you know, it's, it's really... Well, well known, and that you know, not not that they're better. You know, grower champagnes are distinctive. You know, we love yeah. we love wines that are distinctive. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, uh, there are some great champagnes that are produced by the large firms, but by and large, they they look for consistency. They look for you know marketing, whereas the individual growers. Uh, are, are more distinctive and more more expressive. I think I like that distinctive and expressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you you guys have a really <clears throat> successful portfolio. And before I even ask this question, I always tell people, and this is something they taught me at Acker. Like literally, it was like get to know importers. Get to know importers. That's the first thing. If you get to know importers, so like like I remember like I knew Kermit Lynch was a great importer, right? So I was like, so I got to in my mind, I was like Skernik is like. Everything I've tried from them is really good, um, and we'll get into some more of that. But because we'll get in, we'll get into more stuff. But like I tell people that um, get to know importers. That's the for the average person. You can turn, you can look at a bottle of wine, go to the back label, and if see who the importer is, right? Uh, then next, you get to know 
then get to know winemakers and regions. But that can be a, little, a lot in the weeds for a lot of people. But as you just get to know importers, you're going to be way ahead of the wine game, I tell people. You guys have the successful portfolio. Um, and talk more about the philosophy behind how you choose your wines and who you choose. And I think there's, you guys partner with people. So what, uh, what do you guys do differently, you think, than, than other people do? What's your secret sauce? <laughs> oh, I can tell you that, but I'd have to kill you. I know. I mean, without telling me what your secret sauce is, it's secret. It's 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 mayonnaise ketchup it's, and you know what? relish, guys. <laughs> it's it, there's really no secret to it. Um, I think, I think, you know, from the time that I mentioned before about about growing up in a household where we were exposed to wine, we 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 were fortunate. Michael and I both seem to have a pretty good palate. You know, mm -hmm. we seem to be able to, to, to discern good wine from bad and also be able to, um, and if you taste enough, you can also then be able to, to discern whether this wine has a market or not. You know, those are, those are two different things. Is the wine good and does it have a market? But um, Good point. Yeah. But, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we, Michael and I, have always tasted everything from the beginning of the company to even to today to decide what comes into the company. Now we have, yes, we have portfolio managers who are amazing. We have an amazing team people. We always say, you know, it's about the wine and it's about the people. We, we're just as selective uh, about the people that work with us and work for us as we are about the wines we select. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's the consistency of the process, you know, from the very beginning, you know, if we both agreed on something, Michael and I, that this is a really exceptional and distinctive wine, and we can sell this, and we're really behind it, because you got you got to be behind it. You you can't do it half. Don't way, half halfway. ass it. No, no way. Yeah, it's got to you know the wines have got to be distinctive, and and they have to be um, and and it, and it, and it have to be exciting, you know, and so. We still do that today. So, you know, we're a bigger company now, but we're really a big, small company. We still do the th things the same way. Um, you know, if, if, if I like something and he doesn't, we probably don't, we, we're probably not picking it up mm -hmm. if, and vice versa, you know. Uh, but when we're excited about something, when you're excited about something, you can then translate that to other people. And, um, you know, we've, uh, I think we've, been successful that way, but it's really it really comes down to tasting and being tasting ability. I don't think that there are a lot of really great tasters in our business. I hate to say it, you know, there are there are a lot of successful people, but not everybody can taste that well. And um, I think you know, I I I, I I'm not a braggadocious kind of guy. I don't I'm not bragging. I I just think we do have a pretty good uh, palate. No, I, I, it's, it's interesting you say that. We had a guest on, and at, we, I tasted his wines. Like, damn, like I've had people tell me you're nailing the notes, and I, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm not trying to pass any tests or anything. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and and uh, I, there is, you can learn. Listen, you can learn anything. I really believe that you can learn lots of things. But then there, but you think about people who have an an innate ability or something. And then they work on it. You're only going to get better. Like if you have innate ability and you work on it, you're still going to be better than someone who's just working on it. And I think this is something where um, 
there's there's just some people who have just really just good natural palates, not, you know, um, like you said, and 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 I think for what you guys do, you made a very huge distinction, like. But can we sell it? Like it, it is wine and the business. Like something could be great, totally. but is there a market for it? And if there isn't, you know, be, you know, we've. I'm sure you know. You've seen people crash and burn on that one. I'm going to do. I'm going to champion this grape, and that's great. But you, you better have something else that you're going to make money off of while you're championing no, that grape. I mean, look, we you know, we tasted a wine the other day. I, I don't. I don't remember uh, the name of it, but uh, you know, and they were good. They were good, but the prices were ridiculous. It was like we, we're not going to be able to sell this. Yeah. We're just not going to be able to sell it. And so it it really is. It's about the wines and it's about the business. And it, you know, it doesn't mean that everything we tasted 34 years ago when we started. Uh, right. Uh, you know, we we our palates have have changed over the Correct, years too, we, yeah, and yeah. so has the market. The trends have changed. Everything's changed. You know, you, you got to be aware of those trends, and and, uh, and and you know, the the more you taste, the better you get at it. But but you also you evolve and you change, and you and you recognize those trends. And you know, um, you know, we we you know, we we pay, we had a wine early on in our company that we we laugh about now it's uh, i think it's defunct now it was called san saba and it was a cabernet that we sold from monterey and the, and the thing really did smell like weeds you know it smelled like uh, you know green beans and, yeah just grassy and just vegetable people, people make fun of us but you know people people liked it back then <laughs> We had a market. <laughs> we sold a lot of it, uh, but, exactly. you know. But we weren't, and we weren't proud of it because we didn't really love that one. There's very few wines that fit into that class where you know we sold something we didn't really love. Right. Most most wines we most wines in our book you could you know pretty much pick anything in the book and have it with dinner tonight and you're gonna be happy. You know. I I am not bullshitting. I'm they're not. I I agree. Like I tell people like, you know. Um, you want to have a red wine that we that yeah, you've, that you've yes, never had before? Yeah, I want to have a red wine I've never had before. Never had before. I'm singing. Not, not only have you never had this before, but most people in my company haven't had this before. How about what? that? I love yeah, this. Yeah. It's just I, I happen to um, oh my God. get a sample of it. So, Wait, let's get you back on the mic. Sorry. Sorry it's about okay. that. No worries. Yeah, this is called Sori de la Sorba. And it's brand new, and if you you might notice on the bottom the signatures, you might notice a signature that's that's oh, yeah. familiar. I do, I know that one. Carlo Mondavi. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> this is the first release of a brand new Italian wine. It's from Italy, from Carlo Mondavi, who ha who's met the love of his life, who's from Piedmont. She's Italian. Is and, that Giovanna? Uh, yes. She's, it's her signature too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And uh, they bought a vineyard in uh, the town of Diano in, in Piedmont and um, produced this wine from 100% Nebbiolo. It's a language. Yeah, for, uh, I, that's what I got. I was like, yeah, Nebbiolo. Barbaresco on the next. Yes. And, yeah, that's... It, it smells like Barbaresco. And, exactly. and there, there are going to be people who don't know. So Carlo Mondavi is. The son or grandson? The grandson, grandson of, of Robert Mondavi. Of Robert Mondavi, yes. who is who He's really, the son of Tim Mondavi. Yeah, Tim Mondavi's son. So uh, Robert Mondavi, the Mondavis don't actually own the name anymore, but um, mm -hmm. but uh, is reason one of the reasons why we have a wine industry in California. Um, so I love this. But literally when you poured it, I was like, 
because I was trying to figure out. I saw the sorry, so I was like, sorry, Tilda. I was thinking Gaia. Yeah. But then you look, but then it's got like a crest, almost like a shadow of the pop type crest. So I was like, what is this? It's a and then, beautiful package. Isn't yeah, it? it's gorgeous, just yeah. uh, elegant, really good. Uh, but the nose is just uh, cherries and Carlo, rose petals. Carlos is, oh. is a really cool young guy, um, and he. He has a winery called Rain, also R R A E N from I, California. I know the wines. I haven't had to try them. Great Pinot Noirs. Yep. He is kind of. He really reminds me of his grandfather. I think he's going places, and uh, he's so passionate. This is a hundred percent organic farming, and which he's, you know, incredibly passionate about. And um, like I said, you know, our style staff hasn't even tried this. This yet. is good. They're gonna go crazy. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I mean, this is, um, I it's it's, um, and it's and for me in a good way because I have an American palate for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And it's just a little bit riper. It's not it's not blown, but just has just a little bit more ripeness on the fruit. Mm-hmm. But it has all that. Still got leather. Still got all that other stuff going on. It's got that telltale mm-hmm. Nebbiolo mm-hmm. Uh, character of spiciness. Yeah. This is beautiful. But you, you could tell it's not made in California. Yeah, but exactly. But not And it's also in- not like, you know, Carlo is uh, he, he's not taking a California winemaking style and trying to impose to it, impose it on, on. This is very respectful of the terroir, I yeah. think. Which is coming back in vogue, like sense of place, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been talking about wines. We're going to just pivot a little bit because we, wow, we're we're, we're, I've been talking to you for a minute. <laughs> um, it's fun. It is fun. So, like seven years ago, you guys added spirits to your book. So, what prompted you guys to get in the spirits game, and how did that kind of come about? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think you know. I think it stems from Michael, uh, who has a place uh, down in the Caribbean, in, in the island of Saint John. And he, and he opened a restaurant there just for fun. <laughs> just for shits and giggles. About 10 years ago. It no longer exists now. He did it for five years. He, did, he got out of his system, and he's done with it now. <laughs> but it was, a, it was called Fatty Crab, and there was a Fatty Crab um, uh, in New York that he, he, he befriended the guy there, and he, and he helped him o- open the restaurant in St. John. And they were uh, a Malaysian cuisine, and they also were famous for their, for their bar. For the for the cocktails, uh, uh, and uh, he he we he met a guy named Adam Schumann who who today runs our spirits portfolio from the Fatty Crab and um, and you know by owning this restaurant I think Michael and Michael had a bar down there and he, and he had created great cocktail recipes and he really got into spirits and um, and we we decided you know after being in the wine business only for. The first 28 years of our existence, 27, mm. that we could add, you know, a, a, a you know, complement of spirits to it, and why not? And and we brought Adam on, and uh, one thing led to another, from picking up, you know, El Dorado rum, which was the first rum producer we brought on, and then, and now, you know, and then we we brought on a team of of mixologists and ex bartenders, and we started. Um, uh, creating a portfolio of spirits that would appeal to uh, bars, cocktail bars, and also restaurants in New York, which is how it started, and uh, and and it's grown. One thing you know has led to another, and we have, you know, 
an incredible book of the, of the finest artisanal mezcals, for example, and great whiskeys from Japan now, and you know bourbons, and and this, it's really taken off. It's the fastest growing segment in our business now. Wow, that's that is amazing. Um, and again, that's, that's like a fucking Skernick commercial. But like, if you see Skernick, if you drink gin and you see Skernick gin, it's going to be probably the best gin you ever had. I'm just saying, <laughs> well, in my opinion, for my palate. Well, with spirits, we like to say that uh, we, we've crafted a portfolio with a wine palette. You know, mm-hmm. uh, spirits historically has been all about branding and, you know, it's, it's sort of like that champagne uh, discussion we were having yeah. before. It, it was about advertising and marketing. And, right. I mean, look know, at, who am I when I'm drinking this Kettle One? Ca- I mean, you, know. you see how liquor brands break. I mean, absolute Kettle One. It's just, just all of a sudden, this is it's, the best vodka in the world because it's a commercial every 10 minutes. That's and, how they break them. And I used to be in the advertising business. Yeah. It's all about lifestyle. What do you associate with this? Yeah. But we decided to create a portfolio of spirits based on Imagine that, the quality in the glass, <laughs> right? What a concept. <laughs> so, you know, develop a, a, a spirits portfolio that everything is like as good as it could possibly be in that category. And, uh, and, and lo and behold, you know, I don't know how many other companies have done that. Yeah. And it's been really successful. And we, we, th- we thought maybe we would just be a compliment. It would be a compliment to, you know, so we could sell wine and spirits to certain accounts. Maybe cocktail bars who bought spirits, they'd buy a little wine from us mm-hmm. too. And you know, mm-hmm. we didn't realize that we would actually become well known for quality spirits, but we have. And it's really um, gratifying. That's nice. That's yeah. nice. That's a cool thing. Something that happened a few years ago that blew my mind, um, and I have you talk about it is because um, it is so many. You talk about their relationships and choosing work with, and I know you represented so many iconic California brands here on the East Coast. And then a couple of years ago, I was like, "Holy shit!" People are must be losing their shit. Skernick is opening up on the West Coast. How? The- how did you guys pull that one off? Because that's because <laughs> that's a because there's that's a coup. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we did. We actually have pulled it off. I, I, and it's it's uh, I I pinch myself, you know, because it's like years ago we used to like dabble in California. Like, oh, I have a friend who has you know he's got a retail store in California. Maybe we can sell him a few cases, you know. But we never we never had any visions of of expanding beyond our. Our, our contiguous states here, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, mm-hmm. which is really was the, was the first three states that we opened up. Uh, but we, you know, be, being that we were a national importer and we sell to distributors all over the country, um, we, we have been involved in wine sales throughout the country. So we had a distributor in California uh, who did a really good job for us on the... Um, the German wines and the Austrian wines, but he refused to buy anything else from us. Hmm. So we had a quandary, and uh, and as our national portfolio of wines grew, we needed a solution in California. You know, if, if he's not going to buy them, what will we do? You know, we're we going to just give them to, and the and the options there were like you know Southern know. and Youngs and yep, big Young's big companies. Yep. So we decided to do it ourselves and. Uh, we went out there. This was in 2017 when we started, and we went out there 
searching for talent, um, and we hired a team of experienced sales reps and sales managers. And um, we we hired our uh, Brian Cipher, who's uh, worked for, has worked for us for you know over 15 years here in New York, and we trusted him to to kind of be the GM of this company, and we built it from scratch, and um, and it's been super successful super successful both in northern california and southern california and it's it's um it's really uh, exciting and uh, and it gives us more reason to travel to california which, yeah i know which we love to which, do which never sucks <laughs> <laughs> never sucks yeah, yeah. um so you know when you guys started out, where were you headquarters? You were on Long Island somewhere, right? Where were yeah, you? for for a long time we were based in uh, Syosset, Long Island. We started out in Jericho, Long Island, which you know, which is where both Michael and I uh, raised our children. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a, a, a suburban. It's a suburban community, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, bedroom community, commute, you know, commuting distance to the city, but it's suburbia. And because we lived there, you know, that's why the company ended up starting there. And uh, uh, for many years, we the, the talent we would hire, uh, they'd get on the train, you know, on the Long Island Railroad and come out every day. Um, but uh, in 2014, we moved to the city. Um, and uh, it's turned out to be, you know, one of the best moves we ever made. Because this is where the this is where the heart of the wine business is. This is where it is, and we created this showroom, uh, you know, on Twenty Fifth Street, where we have you know it's half an office, and the other you've been there, right? I haven't been there, but I've seen. It. I, I, I I'm oh, I, I will to, be now. I know. Come up. I, I was DMing whoever did social media, like, are you in the trade? I'm like, well, now I am. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. the office has been closed for over a yeah, year. But 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 I know but it's like there's like a bar. Reopening. You have a whole mixology Correct. station. Uh, like, yeah. like it's fly. Yeah. It's yeah. fly as yeah. fuck. It's dope. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Fly as fuck is dope. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so like. Um, so being here, yeah, how's that been, Has been incredible because the customers are here, and every day they're coming up, uh, visiting us. Uh, this is pre-pandemic, uh, and we're opening up bottles and we're mixing cocktails. And we're if they have a a, a new restaurant they're opening, you know, we, they, we help them craft their opening wine list. And having this uh, showroom really. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, so half the offices is, is are, are workstations, and the other half is the showroom, um, where we could do seminars too. We have, you know, winemakers come to town. It's it's just turned out to be such a boon, uh, for, and and for our business, and um, and it's great for our employees too. You know, they get to taste, they get to attend these seminars, get to meet the winemakers, and. Um, and it's in the center of, of everything, you know. And this is this is where it all happens. And you know, pandemic, you know, aside, you know, some people are leaving the city and all that kind of stuff. I think you 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 know you're making a mistake if you count New York out. New York City's coming back. Hey man, New York always comes back. It does. <clears throat> um, so speaking of which, so um, you talked about your employees and how it's been great for them. So like Skernick Wines has like. You, like you guys have now produced a farm team of like uh, importers with great books. Who are who are some of the people? Uh, I know you mentioned David Bolas. Talk about mm -hmm. David Bolas. Talk about Doug Poliner. Yeah. Uh, like what? Like you know? Like 
talk about like what your uh, and people own wine stores. What 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 do people work at Skernick, and then you know they they get inspired. I hope they don't be like fuck you guys. I hope it's just inspirational and they go do stuff. Like what is like some who are some of the people who people might have heard of like. I've said them, but talk about uh, working with these people. Well, yeah, well, you know, one of the things, I mean, some people th- might think that if your employees leave and create a competitive company, mm-hmm. <laughs> not that we encourage that. You right, know, right. We don't. We, we, we love our loyal employees and, and, and our team is, is amazing and we love for them to continue to work for us. But uh, on, a, on a n- number of times, uh, a good employee has gone and, and started his own company or her company and done well for themselves. And, you know, we're happy for them for the most part. You know, David Bowler remains a really good friend of mine. And, um, you know, uh, Doug used to be our number one salesperson in Westchester. And he went up there and now he's based in Westchester and yeah. has a company. Katona. <laughs> or uh, Mount Kisco. I yeah, Mount Kisco. Well, yeah. Maybe yeah, no, 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 no. It's Mount Kisco. It's, yeah. they're, they're right. They're pretty close. But he rides his bike all the time. I follow him. But uh, Blake Murdoch used to work for us, and he now works. Oh, he has worked for many years for Manny Burke at Rare Wine Company, and uh, Mike Wheeler was. Mi- a- that was my dude, Wheeler. <laughs> Mike Wheeler was our sales rep. He was so yeah. fucking cool. Yeah, and he's out in Portland now, right? He's in Portland. He's got an uh, importing company there, and. Uh, who else? Oh, um, Clark Bowling, who works for uh, Rosenthal, used to work for us. Uh, Anthony Austin, he's with, who's, he's with Anthony Varian. Austin, where, 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 I don't know who he's with now, but yeah, he worked for us for many years. I mean, a lot of people. He was my guy when I was in Jersey. You know, yeah. like I said, we're really good at selecting our wines, and yep. we're really good at selecting our people. Yeah. And if you're going to select really good people, some of them, you're going to end up losing them because they're good. And uh, But we're not afraid of that. I, mean, I think there's enough business out there for many companies and many good people and we just wish them well and we wish them you know if uh wish them a good competition yeah that's you know? cool man no i think i think people like work for you and it's, it's good to be like they're like you know i can do this you know and they learn from you and hopefully like you said like yeah. uh, there's more than there's so much wine in the world sincerest form of flattery yep you know yeah imitation absolutely mm-hmm. so skernic wines is to this day, I mean, it's grown, it's scaled is the term, but it's still a family business with you and Michael. And it, uh, tell me about uh, the next generation that is working with you. Thank, you for, thank you for asking. Uh, my pride and joy. I, I've got a, a son and a daughter, David and Erica. Both of them work for the company and both of them uh, do me proud every day. Uh, they, they're just, you know, really growing and and you know david has been with the company now for over 10 years and is really uh, one of the top managers and you know I, I i'm you know still extremely involved in the company but i'm not i'm not burning the candle at both ends anymore david's taking on more responsibility and i'm taking on a little less you know if you want to let him handle it you know and he's 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 earned it you know, and Erica too. She's now involved in sales management. She's working with our general sales manager and doing, doing incredible work. And um, all three of Michael's kids have worked for the company too. You know, so uh, yeah, we are a multi generational company now, and um, we have you know, uh, our our plans are to to continue with this company in the future. We're we're set up with that succession plan. It's all in place. And that's something that's very comforting to our wine growers because that's, you know, 
one of the things, one of the reasons they love to work with us is because we're a family business just like them. Yeah. You know, we yeah. don't work with big corporation, mm -hmm. corporate uh, wine, wine uh, operations. So they're, they're very comforted to know that the company is set for the future and that we have family members, second generation family members who are ready to, to take the helm in, in, in the future. So um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's very satisfying to, to, to know that. And, and I've never, ever pushed my kids to come into the business. Uh, they did it voluntarily, willingly. They think the wine business is a cool business, and it definitely is. It is. <laughs> you know, we love it. And it's, you know, it's, we just, come on, we're blessed. Yeah. We're blessed to be in a business that is, uh, would be our hobby if we weren't working in it. You know, you, you, you. Do something for a living that you love. You know, they say, what's the old you saying? You, you never, never work, work a day, day in your life, life right? Yep. So I love it. I love it every day. And, um, and you know, and the company's uh, set up for the future, and that's that's really great. That, that's, that's, that's beautiful. I'm actually, that's really beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah. So we got one more wine I yeah, want to get to. Yeah, let's do it. Um, well, this was your request. I know. Mm-hmm. And he um, Skernick wines always over-deliver. <laughs> I asked for two wines, he brought four. And then I was like, there's so many more things I could try. I was like, I haven't had, shout out to uh, Tegan, I haven't ever had the Sandland stuff. Oh, I could have brought so, that. I know, well, well, I got you now, man. <laughs> so, yeah, so you, you mentioned that you loved Molyneux. Yeah, well, I, I really fell in love with South African Senso, and then over the course of the pandemic, you know, um, we had tariffs, and then South African wine industry like apparently have really problems with alcoholism or something like so like they they, they like so what went on in South Africa like it's terrible because because like, Tegan was literally he's like buy South Africa if you can buy buy South African wine so what kind of what's going well on? you know why that was because during COVID uh, whereas in America the response was. Uh, Wine is essential, right? You know, because they knew people would, on the, exactly. would, would protest on the streets if they couldn't buy alcohol uh, in, in this country. But in South Africa, they actually did. They banned it. They they banned the sale of alcohol, yeah. not only uh, uh, in, in domestically within the country. And I guess they thought I don't know what they thought. It was just really foolish. And so these poor South African wine growers um, didn't have a market except for their export market. So we, you know, we actually actively promoted South African sales, uh, so to help them out because they couldn't sell any wine domestically. There, so uh, you you said you had had the Chenin Blanc yeah. from Molina, mm -hmm. which is absolutely phenomenal. Stellar, stellar. Uh, Andrea and Chris Molina. Andrea is an American woman, and Chris oh, okay. is a South African. They married and uh, uh, started the winery in two thousand seven, and. Uh, have become known as one of the finest producers in the country. They pretty much started the Swartland Revolution, which they call it. And it's the the region in, is Swartland, and which used to be known years and years ago for uh, you know kind of everyday table wines, not really anything special. But mm -hmm. they have uh, created, uh, discovered, and promoted this terroir, which a number of producers have since followed. Uh, but yeah, be, besides the Chenin Blanc, the Reds are very northern, killer. very northern Rhone. Totally, totally. Yeah. This is called the. Uh, this is a single vineyard. Uh, it's called Granite, and it's uh, from a single vineyard uh, with um, you know at least twenty-five-year-old vines, and it's all foot-trodden, mm -hmm. and it's very, very small production, and very carefully 
uh, produced. But yes, it's it reminds me you have a of a Hermitage yeah. or, or a coat roti. Totally, totally, totally. I mean, mm, mm, mm. oh, so yeah. And the finish. I mean, it's just so rich and and so long, so finished, and and so Molyneux become justly famous as a result. Mm. Wines are just great. Wow, that is. Mm. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing all the wines today. Really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Um, and since we're talking about government and stuff like that, um, I in your introduction we talk about how you are a, serve as a board member for the U.S. Wine Trade Alliance. Tell me about your work uh, fighting against the wine and spirits challenge, which probably is a little bit easier now that we have a new administration. But like, but but like. For you, as someone who imports wine, what were you, like, you're watching the news, and you had to be like, what the fuck? Like, totally. I mean, like I said before, we've been in business 34 years, and for 32 of them, we haven't had a single, tariffs just didn't exist. It's free trade. I mean, um, it, it, it just it never entered our consciousness that this would be something that could uh, that they could use against, uh, or, or use as a, as a as a tool for for this. You know, this. I mean, when Trump got elected, uh, you know, China this and China that, and Europe and nobody's fair and America first and all that. And and you know, free trade is 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 what America is about. Oh, that's the whole joke for me. <laughs> I mean, like, what the, what yeah, the, is that, that, where's that, the free trade? That's right? the whole joke for me. Is like that's what you espouse is like let the market decide. <laughs> So, yeah, and so of course it, it was totally like everything, uh, every one of his policies, and we don't have to get too much into politics, but so misguided. And it, and what it ended up doing was hurting American businesses. America first. Well, this was hurting American business. So one of the things. So we all got together, uh, importers, distributors, retailers, restaurateurs, and uh, you know it's the one thing the one thing about tariffs it's the one thing that united right, right. this this industry like, like, you know <laughs> no comp- everybody was anti tariff there wasn't a there's not a single wine company or or restaurant or retailer who who's in favor of this ridiculous policy so uh, we created this or- trade organization called the US Wine Trade Alliance uh, Ben Aniff, who is the president, and he he came to my office um, with Dan Posner, who's a, 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 another retailer who's been very active politically too. And uh, this was you know just after they enacted the tariffs and um, asked me to to help them uh, raise funds and create this organization and create a, basically a lobbying group to to. You know, write write letters to Congress people and go down to Washington D.C. DC and testify. You know, and all this stuff. And we did all this stuff. And you know, I've never really been politically active in my career, but um, this, I you know, was just passionate about because it was so wrong. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm pleased to say that we. You know, I think that the fact that I I I know that we have a new administration, and I'm thrilled about that. And they immediately rescinded the tariffs, and they say temporarily, but I think it's going to be permanent. Um, but I, I really do think that our organization made a huge difference. No, I think you guys held the line there. You, and, you, you actually and, held the line. And I'll tell you yeah. why I think it's uh, why I th- why I know this because there is still um, 
a dispute out there about uh, taxes that they're impo- that countries are imposing on digital services right. like Apple and Google and in Europe. Right. So the U.S. government is still threatening tariffs on this topic because the first tariff uh, argument was all about airplanes. Right. I mean, ridiculous. We, 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 we're raising prices on wine, imported wine, because of airplane unfair competition. <laughs> it's just total bullshit. And so, but the digital, this digital tax issue, um, they listed a bunch of industries that they're, they're, they're going to uh, put tariffs on, and wine's not part of it. Oh, cool. And the, the reason wine's not part of it is because of us, I think. Yeah. No, that's that's Because we were really effective. And Ben, Ben is amazing. Uh, I hope he comes on your show someday because Ben is, uh, is the most knowledgeable person. He should, he should be a lobbyist. He's incredibly, he, he knows how Washington, D.C. works. And we hired this firm. And, and plus, we, uh, we, we got the incredible letter writing campaign uh, to, to, uh, to Congress people and senators. And they really listened to us. Because we we banded together, you yeah. know, strength in numbers. Yep. Yeah. And so, so really, I'm proud of that. Yeah. You know? Well, you should be, man. You really should be. That was Thanks. that was really good to see. So, um, lastly, because um, we could, I hope you consider yourself a friend of the show. We'll have you back on in a later episode, <laughs> man. Seriously. I'm feeling friendly about okay. the show. Cool, cool. And if not, we'll just. Uh, next time me and Cliff get together, we'll, we'll invite you. We'll have some bottles, watch a game, something. Man, That'd for be sure. fun. Yeah. Um, but I like what was so you grew up in this household. Your parents went to France, Scotch drinkers, and came back wine enthusiasts. What was the bottle of wine that did it for you, though? Mm. Uh, what? I can't. I'm. I can't think of like the one that did it for me really, really early on. That's fine. But I can think of a bottle that's relatively early on that was incredibly profound. Love it. Which is '61 La Chapelle. Uh, Jabelet La Chapelle. I'm a, I'm a Rhone guy. So. I mean, '61 La Chapelle is one of these wines. It's Im- immortal. I, I and I and it's impossible to find today. But I I went to attend a. A, a winemaker dinner with Jabelet at Montrachet restaurant when Daniel Jonas was running it at the time. And they uh, had um, many vintages of La Chapelle, including the 61, which got to taste uh, there. And this is a wine that was just, one of those wines that's just completely immortal. It was like, it tasted like it could be, it could last another 50 years. Wow. And it was already 50 years old. Wow. You know? Wow. And um, it was one of those wines in the zone. Yeah, in the zone. <laughs> in the zone. In the zone. I yeah. think we. I think me and Harmon have been in the zone here today. <laughs> and uh, Harmon, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been just too much. Pleasure's fun. been mine, man. And just you're uh, a body of knowledge of wine and business, and just we. I'm. I'm sure you could talk intelligently on so many topics, particularly Mets baseball. But but unfortunately, not hip hop. I'm sorry. That's I, okay. I can't. I can't That's add it. anything to. But you are the expert there, and I. And, and you don't need to learn anything about I, that from I, me. I don't know if I'm an expert, but but um, <laughs> I do like some hip hop, and I just happen to be at the right age to go to clubs when it was out (laughs) although although i got younger guests than me who like nice but like that was like when i was living in new york well i'll tell you what we we get together we'll drink wine you can teach me something about hip-hop because i don't really know that much about it's a deal
<laughs> so Harmon, tell everybody where they can find you, uh, uh, what the handle is for Skernick Wines on Instagram, and be a part of uh, what you guys are doing over there at Skernick Wines. I think the handle is at Skernick Wines. I think that's it. I think so, uh, and we'll make sure we have the right one in the notes. Yeah, thank regardless. you. Um, yeah, and... Uh, uh, you know, skernick.com, skernickwines.com. You can check out our website. Um, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. We're, you know, we, we, got, we got a terrific team. Actually, it's the, the one person who's really great at managing our social media presence. And uh, we try to, we try to, very responsive. Do our part in terms of education yeah. and seminars and things like that. Yeah, they do a lot of series of IG Live. So tune mm -hmm. in. They, they have a great portfolio. So they're meeting, they're sharing with their producers, like I said. Um, so make sure you follow them. Everybody, uh, thanks for tuning in. Until the next time, it's your boy MJ. Cheers to the Mavericks, which the Skernick boys definitely are some Mavericks. Mm -hmm. uh, philosophers, deep thinkers, and to all you wine drinkers, take care. Peace. Peace. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.